Smarty Pants Lance, Smarty Pants Lance, Smarty Pants Lance. Come to order, order. The Superior Court of Butt County is now in session. We shall hear from Smarty Pants Lance. Hello, everybody, and welcome. As some of you know, I practice criminal defense for many, many moons. When it comes to criminals, okay, it's not only illegal, it's against the law. So I thought I would tell you some stories from my practice. The stories you're about to hear are inspired by true events. Some of the events have been exaggerated for comic purposes. No attorney-client privilege has been violated, and this shall not imply an attorney-client relationship between Smarty Pants Lance and the listener. I asked my Aunt Phyllis to join us for a second and explain the three general categories of crime. The first one is an infraction. That's something like a speeding ticket or a parking violation, something where you pay a fine, but there's no jail. Who would want to go anyway? The second is a misdemeanor, which means you can be in the sheriff's jail for six months to a year and pay a fine. And the worst type of criminal offense already is a felony. You can go to state prison with a stainless steel toilet and no lid on it's disgusting for life without parole. How'd I do? You did fine, Aunt Phyllis. So, let's review those. You have infractions, which are things like a vehicle code violation or a moving violation. Of course, uh, consensual violations between two adults can be (laughs) quite moving. And then you have misdemeanors and the felonies that Aunt Phyllis mentioned. I had a particular client who was accused of a felony. Accused, of course, because he had not been convicted. It's merely an allegation that the popo said that my client done committed. Well, I was going to court, and they have a thing called an arraignment where they tell you what you're charged with, and if you want to plead guilty, what an early penalty would be, kind of a discount if you plead early, get it out of the way, less time, less fine, etc., etc. Then it goes on, and you have different reviews and such and such. Thing is that the DA in this particular department was, shall I call, a handsome woman who had a really bad attitude. And everything with her was like, oh, you're right. And you expect me to believe that? I think her most uh, common reaction to everything was, well, this case had been going on for a while. And I come in one day and they call the case. It's a crowded courtroom, lots of lawyers, lots of friends and family uh, waiting for their person to come out in custody. And they call the case. The DA's first words are, where's your client? He's supposed to be here. He was ordered to be here today. Where is he? And I say, well, your honor, uh, my client is not present today uh, for a good reason, which I will explain. Well, it better be a good reason because I want a warrant issued. And the people want it issued right now, Your Honor, right now. And it's for immediate arrest and to bring before a judge upon arrest and no bail. And I'm like, uh, well, uh, could I explain if I could get a word in edgewise? And the judge is like, yes, yes, go on, go on. What kind of pish posh and palaver do we have today? I mean, I do have a backed up schedule, so you can skip your usual nonsense and proceed directly. Yes, Your Honor. So I say, I have in my hand, now I have in my hand an eight and a half by 11 manila envelope that is sealed. And I say, Your Honor, in my right hand, this very right hand of mine is a manila envelope. 
It is eight and a half by 11 in dimension, and it contains evidence so convincing, so immediate, so incontrovertible that the court will have no choice but to dismiss each and every felony count against my client. And of course, the DA is like, I didn't see this. What kind of evidence? You're supposed to turn that over to us. How did you not do this? You know, there are ethical rules that you have to. That's what she just sounded like. I mean, most of the time I tune her out. She's going on and on. And the judge says, oh, we're very interested in this evidence. Uh, what is this evidence? Your Honor, I shall now present this envelope to the district attorney. I am now reaching across the council table. And I am handing this evidence in the eight and a half by 11 manila envelope to the district attorney. And it may be opened here in open court and read aloud before the court and the sheriff and the court reporter and all persons assembled. She goes, oh, give me that. And she opens the envelope. She takes it out and she looks at it. As she's looking at it, I say, I remind the court that this evidence is so powerful that it will have no choice but to dismiss all charges and to excuse my client's appearance on this day. And the judge is like, well, well, what is it? And the DA says, it purports to be a death certificate. And I'm like, yeah, because my client done died. That's why he isn't here. So if you want to issue one, Mr. Mr. Smarty Pants, enough of that, okay. Your client is it. And the DA's like, I have to have a research. We have to research this because he's alleging in this document uh, that, that, that his client died. And, and the people have no such confirmatory evidence. And I'm like, you know, it is a certified copy from the recorder's office. I mean, I did pay the eight or 10 bucks, whatever it was then, to get it certified that it's a real death certificate of my client. You know, and of course the sheriff is uh, texting along. The sheriff is also the bailiff in there, deputy sheriff. And he's typing along and all of a sudden he turns to the judge and just goes, oh, he be dead, he dead. And I say, I move. Yes, yes, yes. All charges are immediately dismissed. Bail is exonerated. Anything further? And the DA's like, why didn't you tell me this? Why didn't you tell me this in advance? Why do we have to go through all this? And I go, because I don't like you. And I wanted to find a public forum to once again embarrass you. Now, when you learn to work well and play well with others, maybe things will change. <laughs> Oh dear, there goes my reputation again. All right, so we're getting into springtime. No, not springtime for Hitler and Germany, which was a song in the famous play and then movie and then redone uh, play, The Producers, a famous Mel Brooks play. Check it out if you haven't seen it. It's mighty fine entertainment. And as far as I know, Mel Brooks has never been arrested for anything that they wouldn't show Mel Brooks's classic comedy western, Blazing Saddles, which I consider to be the gift that keeps on giving today, because of political correctness, that's a crime. When spring came along and the weather was good, the sheriff's department and some city popo used to carry out sting operations. One was a standard prostitution sting, and another one was what they called the gay sting operations. Imagine trying to do that these days. Why did it happen to be in springtime? Well, because where I was, the sheriffs didn't want to be out there when it was too cold or too windy or too rainy, and they didn't want to be out there when it was too damn hot. So there was kind of a sweet spot for about three months where they'd conduct these outside sting operations. And I knew 
it was time for the phones to start ringing regarding clients who have been arrested uh, <clears throat> for allegedly offering money to do unto another. Unfortunately, that other was a cop. Generally, the way these things would go down is Mr. Peabody and Sherman. That is a reference to the Rocky and Bullwinkle segment, Peabody and Sherman and their Wayback Machine. So, Sherman is going along, doop 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 and he sees Mr. Peabody, who is a police decoy. So Sherman's like, doop doop ah, yeah, nice day, huh? And uh, Mr. Peabody says, uh, you looking for something? And Sherman's like, oh, I don't know if I, uh, if I am or I'm not. I'm just, uh, I don't know, I'm just saying nice day. And Mr. Peabody says, okay, see ya. And uh, Sherman's like, well, um... So, so, uh, what's up? And, of course, uh, Mr. Peabody says, Are you looking for a party? And Sherman's like, Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, like, um, how much would it be to have a, a, a party? And Mr. Peabody says, $20. Now, let's stop here. It's been $20 since I started at the Public Pretender's Office in 1986. It's inflation-proof. Compare that to the price of gas these days, huh? Huh? Sherman's like, yeah, well, uh, 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 I don't know. How do I know you're not a cop? And Mr. Peabody says, how do I know you're not a cop? You're waking me out. And Mr. Peabody turns to walk away. And Sherman goes, oh, I'm not a cop. I'm not a cop. Uh, but um, just to make sure, um, uh, so $20. Okay, all right, let me, see your, uh, let me see your tits. And, of course, Mr. Peabody says, hey, pal, I don't show nobody nothing for free, and turns to walk off. And, of course, Sherman's like, oh, okay, okay, oh, fine. And Peabody says, okay, why don't you meet me in room four of this incredibly skanky rents-by-the-hour motel? Uh, no giveaway there. And Sherman's like, oh, okay, ho, oh, oh. And Peabody says, just give me a minute to freshen up and uh, then walk in. So, of course, Peabody goes into room four a few minutes later, maybe one or two, uh, Sherman comes in, and guess what he finds? It's the coppers. <laughs> Cups go click, and he gets thrown in the patty wagon. Back with all the sergeant, well, well, what are we doing out here, boys? And uh, then, of course, calls my office for my expert legal assistance. You might wonder, can the popo lie to you and say that they're not a cop? The answer is yes, because if they told you, yes, why I, I happen to be a cop, then the thing would never go down. Now, of course, I'm expecting the phone to be ringing during the season, and I'm walking into the office singing a happy tune knowing that money is a-coming. Even if that guy wasn't. Know what I mean. So I'd be walking into my office on a bright, sunny morning singing, Tra-la, it's here, that lusty time of year, where every gay man looks for someone to have some fun. It's mad, it's clear, that shocking time of year, where my phone rings and rings and rings and rings with people pleading. Yes, that was money for my vacation fund. Plus, I always zealously represented my clients. I should add that one time I'm sitting in chambers, that is the fancy word for office. The judges don't sit in their office, they sit in their chambers, like it's Charlie Old England, you know, back in the, the olden days of all that rot, 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 rot. The judge looks at me and says, 
You know, smarty pants, a man can't even get laid in this town anymore without government intercision. And I'm like, Roger, that good, buddy. So one day I'm busy zealously representing my accused. It's a crowded morning and we got to get up to the courtroom, which was uh, up a number of floors in the courthouse. And to get there, I normally would take the stairs, but my client would rather take the elevator. And we get in the elevator. He's standing next to me and everyone's squeezed in. And I look at him and I say, you, you look scared. And he goes, oh, oh, I'm scared. I am, oh, I, I couldn't even sleep a wink last night. I am terrified. And I'm like, you are? And he goes, oh my God. I, I'm just, I, I, don't, I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm like, calm down. I've handled this a lot of times. It's normal to be nervous. Um, you know, this is not something you're used to. I'll get you through it. Everything will turn out fine. And eventually down the road, this whole conviction will get expunged and removed from your record. And he's like, oh, thank God. That's so relieving. And I go, but you still look very scared. You even look pale. And I go, so tell me something. How scared are you? He goes, again, I'm just, oh, I'm just so scared. And I go, scared straight. And he goes, well, <laughs> never that scared. Now, where this sting operation happened was in a very tall grass and bushes uh, area right along the banks of a river. Initially, my uh, client told me that he was up there to go fishing. And I said, well, they didn't find a fishing pole or bait or anything that would indicate that you were fishing. It sounds to me more like you were definitely there to fish, but not for what the river itself had to offer. So we get in the courtroom and the DA, who's just like every DA, to me they're fungible, to me they're like oatmeal. One flake is the same as another, and of course the same attitude. And she's like, is he gonna plead? Is he gonna plead? Ugh, waste of time, is he gonna plead? And I'm like, yes, he is gonna plead. She goes, oh, good. And I go, but he's not pleading to what you're charging him with. He will plead to fishing without a license and infraction. Of course, in uh, California, it's a violation of Fish and Game Code 7145 to be fishing without a valid license. Yeah, you know, the legislature has to have a Fish and Game Code. The, uh, yeah, the, uh, the FGC. Long story short, I walked him out of there with an infraction with a $100 base fine. Of course, they add tax to the base fine, or they call it penalty assessments. And by the way, you take the $100 plus $200 for the penalty assessment, now you're $300, and they add processing fees and other things. It was like $485, but he paid it on the spot, and he had no misdemeanor. Good, not a misdemeanor, just a moving violation. Well, it, uh, he was trying to violate someone by moving, but that's not what happened in this case. Here's the hilarious part is that part of the deal was that he had to agree, like many others, to stay away from certain areas that are very high in prostitution. So what they do is they hand him a pre-printed form at government taxpayer expense and list every address and every location within the county where prostitutes may be found and you promise not to go to those areas. Now think about this. Now he knows where else he can go if he were looking to uh, fish.